As you're being seated, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the first chapter of the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's very appropriate that on Christ the King Sunday, we look at a text such as this. Revelation chapter 1, I'll begin reading at the fourth verse. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priest, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will well. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. My friends, this is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this place, you will write these words on our hearts through the oil and the wine of your Holy Spirit. May you sensitize, tenderize our hearts to hear what you're saying to us today. God, we do wish, above all else, that Jesus Christ will rule and reign in our lives and even in all creation. In his name we pray. Amen. In great literature, those ending sentences are almost as important as those beginning sentences. And it's interesting to look at some of the famous ending sentences in great literature. One of the most famous comes from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. That play ends with these words. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. I'm very fond of the concluding words of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. These words in many ways summarize the Christian life, but at the end of that novel, we hear this. Darling, replied Valentine, has not the Count just told you that all human wisdom is summed up in two words, wait and hope. But perhaps my favorite of all ending words comes from the last paragraph of the last book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. The last book in the Chronicles of Narnia is the book entitled The Last Battle. And in many ways, that book, The Last Battle, is a fictionalized, different-worldly 
presentation of the book of Revelation in the Christian community. At the end of that book, The Last Battle, we, we learn that, that there is the death, the death of all the visitors that have been making their way to Narnia throughout the Chronicles of Narnia. All of those children, they die in a train wreck at the end of that last book. And here are the words that conclude, not just that last book, the last battle, but conclude all the Chronicles of Narnia. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, today we're talking about another ending. Today we're talking about the ending, the ending of history. Across the globe today, Christians are gathering and they're celebrating Christ the King Sunday. As the last Sunday in the liturgical or the Christian year, we are thinking about how the Christian story ends. This is Christ the King Sunday. We are reminded that there will come a time when the reign of Jesus Christ will be over all of creation. There will come a time when he will return, he will come again to judge the, the quick, the living, and the dead. There will come a time when God's will will be done on earth, just like it's presently, presently being done right now in heaven. There will come a time, a day, when the lion will lay down, down with the lamb and God's shalom. God's radical, tremendous peace will fill all the earth. We've been in a sermon series during the month of November, speaking of valleys and peaks. This obviously is the ultimate peak. One of the basic, one of the basic convictions of the Jewish and the Christian faith is that History does not just simply repeat itself over and over and over. One of the basic gifts of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith to the world is that understanding that history is linear. History is going somewhere. There was a beginning, there is a middle, and there will come an end to history. Today we're looking at one account of that day, one account of that ending. We're looking at the opening verses of the book of Revelation. These opening verses come from the vision that John received there on the Isle of Patmos. I'm so glad that John the Revelator received this vision, and I'm so glad that he wrote it down for us, and we can look at it today. Here in the book of Revelation, we see how history wraps itself up according to the will of God in Jesus Christ. 
Christ. Here in these opening verses, verses 4 through 8 of the book of Revelation, we see the opening greeting or salutation and an opening doxology of the book. Look at the text again, beginning at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Seven churches. Now, we know that he is going to go on and write about and write to seven specific churches there in the Roman province of Asia. It's what we call today Turkey. He did write to those seven churches that existed there in his day, but we also know that in biblical literature, Old Testament and New Testament, the number of seven points us toward perfection, points us toward completion. So what what John is sharing here is to seven, seven literal churches of his day, but it is also being shared with the complete church, not just those churches there in present-day Turkey, but even with the church here in High Point. So he's sharing this whole vision, this message with us. Look at the salutation. Notice how it begins. It begins in very... Very Christian style. Grace to you and peace. You hear that frequently in the New Testament. Paul is very fond of that. You hear that frequently in many of the writings of the New Testament. I hope that every time you hear that salutation, you always take note of the order in which these gifts are referenced. First grace, then peace. Grace to you and peace. That is always the situation in the New Testament because it is always the situation that we must experience grace first. We must experience God's gift of God's self to us. We must experience God's, God's love in action. That's what grace is. And it is only after we experience grace that peace becomes an option. That's why in all the greetings of the New Testament, grace and peace are being offered to us. Notice this salutation, grace to you and peace, and here comes the Trinity. I'm so grateful for that powerful Trinitarian anthem that the choir just sang. The Trinity, perhaps it's not named in the New Testament, but the Trinity, the reality of our Trinitarian vision of God is scattered throughout the New Testament, such as here, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Well, that's God, the great I Am. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne... Seven, again, perfect completion, the perfect complete spirit, the Holy Spirit that is before the throne of God, the great I Am. The word throne is very important in the book of Revelation. The word throne occurs about 60 times in the whole New Testament. It occurs 47 times right here in the book of Revelation. John wants to make sure that we understand who it is that is on the throne. John, in his day, was writing to a church under intense suffering and persecution. And that's why John wanted them to see how our story ends. He wants to remind them who is on the throne. So here is him who is and who was and who is to come, the great I Am. 
from the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit that is before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, there's the Trinity, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Don't ever lose sight of who is really and ultimately on the throne. As soon as John the Revelator shares these words, he flows into a doxology. We know that we are a people of doxology. Doxology just simply means a song of praise. You heard his doxology. To him, this Jesus, to him who loves us and freed us, you can translate the word freed as washed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priest, serving his God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We have been made a kingdom of priests who are called to serve, to worship God forever. We need to make sure, friends, that our identity is always in Christ, first and foremost. Our identity, who we consider ourselves to be, is in Christ. It's not in our nationality. It's not in our ethnicity. It's not in our political persuasion. It's not in our denomination. It's not in the region of the country in which we inhabit. Our identity, first and foremost, is in Christ. We have been made by Christ a kingdom, a kingdom of priests serving and worshiping God. And as soon as John shares this, he says, Amen, which means so be it. And he goes back to the Hebrew Bible. He goes back to the Old Testament. Here he, he quotes some words from Daniel 7 and Zechariah 12 when he describes what the end will look like by saying, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will well, well, so it is to be. Amen. Amen means so be it. And John is making sure that we hear him declare it. And John wants us to make this declaration at the center of our life. At the center of the way we understand living and history. And then in verse 8, the last verse of this section, God speaks. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And of course, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. God is both our origin and our destiny. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That word there, Almighty, is a wonderful term in the Greek. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters use this term a lot. They use this painting often in their architecture. It's the same uh, depiction of Jesus that I see to my right hand here in this beautiful stained glass window. It's Jesus as Pantocrator. Jesus as the Almighty. Jesus as the Supreme Ruler. I know that you are familiar with those words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that you hear God speaking here. And I know that you're familiar with having God referenced as the Almighty. But if you continue to make your way through the book of Revelation, you will hear Jesus say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You will see 
that Jesus is declared to be the Pantocrator, the supreme ruler. You will see that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, shares the throne with God. Beautiful Trinitarian theology, a beautiful picture as to how history wraps up. There is coming a day, there is coming the day when history will wrap up. There is coming that day when all the earth will recognize and receive Jesus Christ as the King of all the earth. It really wasn't contrary to much social media. Queen Elizabeth, but her great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, who famously said, Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. I would so love to lay my crown at His feet. Queen Victoria said that. I know that would be indicative of Queen Elizabeth also. And I'm sure Queen Elizabeth knew what her great-grandmother had said, and I'm sure that her heart would have expressed the same intent. We are those people in history, in life, who now understand that He is the supreme ruler. We now understand that we bow to His majesty. We now understand and receive that He is the majesty. There is coming a day the whole created order will recognize and receive that. The Apostle Paul in that great Christ hymn in Philippians 2 says that there is coming a day when at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we are those people who do it in advance of that day. We do it in anticipation of that day. We are those people in history now who, who lay down our strong-willed natures. We lay down our rebellious heart and we bend the knee before Jesus Christ. Perhaps the greatest chapter in the New Testament where the end is depicted in 58 verses by the Apostle Paul is 1 Corinthians 15. And perhaps the way that the Apostle Paul summarizes the end there in 1 Corinthians 15 is when he says, God will be all in all. We are those people who seek now in advance of that day, in anticipation of that day, to make sure that God is our all in all. We look forward to that day. We look forward to when Jesus will wrap up human history. If we die, if we should die before that day comes, we will move into the reality of that kingdom. But one day that reality will come to earth.
John Wesley said, The spirit in the heart of the true believer says with earnest desire, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Jesus. May we be able to live boldly for the cause of Jesus Christ. The world around us does not need Christianity light. Christianity light will not save the world around us. But what is offered us in Jesus Christ will transform us and one day will transform all creation. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is such an honor to belong to you. May we live, believe, think in such a way that we're making an offering of our life to you. We pray, O oh God, that Jesus Christ will come and take up residency in our hearts. We pray that Jesus Christ will rule and reign in our lives as we live in anticipation of that day. In his powerful name we pray. Amen.